Hello everyone, welcome back to Daf HaShavua. Could you imagine we are up to Daf Kuf Chaf Beis 122, the last Daf Maseches Yuvamas. We look forward to beginning Maseches Ksuvah. So I'm going to send out the exact schedule, uh, how we're going to learn this during the Yomarayim through Sukkot, maybe a little bit of a different schedule when we send out the Shiurim, but it will be great learning. Maseches Ksuvah is known as Shas Katan because so many sugyas that are found throughout Shas, uh, you could see uh, snippets, and sometimes even more than snippets of it, in Meseches Ksuvis. We already have learned some inyanim of Meseches Ksuvis as far as uh, marriage, even as far as very important uh, Gerkatan and other sugyas. but what's going to happen in Meseches Ksuvis, it's going to really shoot out to learn so much of uh, different parts of Shas. And again, Malzatov, Malzatov to those of us that are completing Meseches Yuvamas in our neighborhood, beyond. Um, I was sitting next to Rosh Hashiva recently at a wedding in Chicago, and uh, he didn't give me Rishos to give his name, but he told me how fond he is of Daf HaShavua. He thinks the, it's just such a great, great way of learning, and uh, I know those of you that have hung in there throughout Meseches Yuvamas I appreciate uh, you hanging in, the learning that we've done together, and especially the conversations that we've had uh, offline. I'm going to jump right into the Gemara today. This is a Gemara that started on Kuf Chaf Aleph Bays, but the main part is on Kuf Chaf Bays. And I'm going to give Halacha Lamaisa that comes out of it, actually that uh, mo- most of it comes from Arashi. Here we have in the Gemara the case is you have a non-Jew who obviously is not kosher le'edus, he's not even in the category of edus, and he threatens a Jew, and he says, I want you to be coach there for me. We're talking about on Shabbos. I want you to harvest for me. <clears throat> if not, I'm going to kill you. Now, you know, according to halacha, a person could violate Shabbos to save his life. It's not considered the big three. There may be exceptions where if it's a public display, this is in Masech Sanhedrin, that you'd have to risk your life. What's interesting over here is we're most likely involved, according to many Rishonim, in a Dindar Abbanan. But I don't really want to go there, even though it's Kotzer. But here's the point. He says to this guy, who's really not the main topic, it's just a way to get to the main topic and the real the main person in the story, he says, if you don't do this for me on Shabbos, then I'm going to kill you like I killed, uh, let's call her uh, Shimon. Because he wouldn't be Michal Shabbos for me by cooking, by doing Bishel. Now, this guy Shimon is missing. And his wife hears about this uh, roundabout testimony, put into quotation marks, because obviously it's not real testimony. But you remember we learned in the Gemara last week of Messiah Lefitumo, if a non-Jew says something just uh, innocently, then we're going to take that as if, I wouldn't say as if it's Adas, but we're going to take it as the truth because he has no motivation to lie. We're going to see this again before we even get to the next Mishnah of cases where in battle a non-Jew said he saw something and he was involved in the burial and we believe him. So the question is, could we trust the non-Jew about this other person. The wife hears the case, and she goes in front of Abaya, 
and asked whether she's allowed to get remarried. There's so much in this I got it to. First of all, this woman is not making a decision on her own. She's going to Abaya. And then Abaya says, let's not answer the so quickly. We're going to have to wait three regalim. Now, there's Machlokas. Rashi gives us two explanations of what this means exactly, regalim. But what I want to point out is that even Abaya is deliberate in answering. Obviously, we're dealing here with major issues. We've been discussing these issues already with Tuprak and possible Mamzerus, Asalaboya, Asalabal. But I think there's a general principle that you learn from this, <clears throat> of course, of Heavy Misun and Badin, being very deliberate. You have great Gedolim, who when people ask them questions, they would not answer right away, really for two reasons. One is just because you need to evaluate every situation. Not every situation is the same. But I also have heard it explained, it's in order to give respect to the person that's asking the question. It's not Sheker, because it's the truth. You need to look. But the additional benefit is you make the person who's asking the question feel like it's an important question. Have a So you see already the Musr Haskil, we get some Musr lessons over here. Number one from this woman, who's going to ask advice, and then Abaya. And actually what ends up happening is Abaya plays a game of pass, not in a negative way, and he says that we're going to pass it on to Rav Yosef. Now let's go back to Rashi, gives two explanations of what's happening with the Regola. One is that it's actually talking about the Regola whether you have to wait three or whether you wait one or two. But we're going to wait till the Chachamim come together because this is a major issue to be discussed. Now, you have to appreciate right away why this case is not the same case that we saw last week or we're going to see later on in the Gemara because the person over here is using a threat against party two. Let's call him uh, Yanko and only bringing up a story about Shimon as a threat. This whole thing could literally be contrived because he's just saying that for his advantage. And that's eventually what Rav Yosef is going to say. Rav Yosef brings in a case where a non-Jew says that the food food that I'm selling is uh, Arla, or it's Netaravai. It's not a good idea, actually. You can't eat if it's Arla or Netaravai, at least not in every place. Netaravai has to be eaten in Yerushalayim. And then he says uh, something else, which is a big discussion what exactly it is, of Azika. Azika either has something to do with Shemitah, that it's food that's been guarded during a Shemitah, which according to some Rishonim is prohibited. We're not going to get into that discussion now. Rashi assumes Azika is the name of a place in Eretz Yisrael. So this person is going to Chutzlaretz, this non-Jew, and he's saying, I bought some great stuff from Eretz Yisrael. It was a place where great fruit grew, where fruit grew in a very uh, sweet way. In these situations, Rav Yosef says, we don't believe the non-Jew. He's saying something here just to get us to eat because he thinks that 
Arla Netaravai is something positive, you know, he just ha- has a total uh, misunderstanding. Maybe one time he sat in a class or a Jew tried to explain to him these halachas, he has it all messed up. And amazingly, the Brisa says, you don't believe him because he's just trying to sell the fruit and you're allowed to eat it. So Rabbi Yosef says the same thing is over here. This guy has absolutely no believability and he's just doing it for his advantage. That's the recitation. So that's the story, and I gave you a couple of Musr lessons. But then we have a couple of very fascinating halachas that come from the sugya. Now Rashi gives a second possibility of what the regal is, and this generates a fascinating discussion, la halacha, actually in Hilchas Avelos. Let me explain how we're going to get there. It really finds its way in a, a couple of areas of halacha. But let's focus on the Hilchas Avelis area. So Rashi explains that it was a, the regal aspect here was the gathering for a shear of a gadol who died. And this, what we see, is, was an old minhag that Rashi here is describing, that on the Yom Shana, on the anniversary of a tzaddik's death, apparently it looks like a yeshiva, or a, a day of yeshiva, a day of sitting and learning, a part of the day learning, a gathering would take place at the kever. It's interesting that some have this practice today that uh, when they go to Europe or even places in Queens and they, they visit the uh, Kvarim of Gedolim, you know, wherever it may be in the world, they take out a sefer that that Gadol wrote. Because, you know, davening... Adikever, which of course has a min, has basis in halacha, but it generates a lot of controversy, especially people who think that they're davening to the uh, nifter. That's not what we're doing. We're trying to be inspired by the nifter as uh, Kalev was inspired when he went to the Avos. So this is a practice. There are those that want to point out, and you'll see this in uh, certain svarim uh, on tefillah, I know it's recorded in the tefillah, Sefer Tefillah Kolchasa, it's um, in Isha Yisrael and some other svarim, that this may be the basis of not saying Tachnon on a yard site of a Gadol because it's called a Regel. It sounds like a little bit of a stretch of a reason, and we're not going there, but there are many places that don't say Tachnon on many days. The joke is uh, they don't say it on the yard site of a Rebbe, and... If there's no yard site that day, then it's a day to celebrate, and again, not to say Tachnun. This does not mean that in the Hasidic world, Tachnun is not said, said, and it depends which Hasidus. Even uh, some communities in Hungary that were not necessarily Hasidic communities had a minhag, if you could call it a minhag, not to say uh, Tachnun at Mincha. A lot to say over there. But what's the issue that comes up in Hilchas Avelus? And it actually comes up in Arachayim as well. The, the way it's discussed in Hilchas Avelos is in the Shulchan Aruch Yardea, Shin Samoch Zayin, that's the Simon Sif Beis, and you'll find it also in Hilchos uh, Tfilin in Arachayim Mem Hey Aleph. You also find this in Hilchos Tzitzis, discussed earlier in the Halachas of Tzitzis in uh, Simon Chaf Gimel. We have a concept that is uh, known as Loig Larush. What Loig Larush means 
And uh, this is brought down just one place. You can look in the Mishnah Brura in Chaf Gimel, Aleph, but you also have it in Mem Hey, that if you're going to go to a cemetery and perform mitzvos openly that the person who's deceased can no longer perform, then it gives the impression that we're mocking the person that has died, that we're somehow degrading them. And this is a, a prohibition that is brought down. It's why the minog is for people who wear tzitzes out to, to cover the tzitzes. Where this was really uh, relevant is when they used to, in the time of the Gemara, they'd attach the tzitzes to the garments and they wore them all the way down to the ground. Not as what we call today talus katan. So you see this described in the Mishnah Bura, Chaf Gimel, Simon Chaf Gimel Beis. So they would actually take off the tzitzes, I think, is the way it's explained. Today, you just make sure to cover them. And it was the same thing with tefillin. That's how it comes up in the Hilchus Tefillin discussion, because people who wore tefillin, to wear tefillin in front of an avel, it's really within four amos of the deceased person. But, you know, cemeteries generally, the the kvarim are not so far away from each other, so we generally apply this to the whole kever. So the question is, this is the question that's raised by the Rimigash. The Rimigash is one of the early Rishonim in the 11th century. He, uh, you could trace the Rambam to him, the Rambam's father. I think they say it was a Talmud of the Rimigash. So the Rimigash says, why in the case in our Gemara, now this is in his Chuvos, he also has a parish on Gemara, but in his Chuvos, Chelek Aleph Memzayin, why is this not a Loig Rush situation? Remember, the case was they went to, uh, Abayah says we're going to wait for Regal and we're going to find all the Chachamim. That's how we're getting back into this discussion. But the sidebar over here, which is a fascinating discussion, is how could you learn? How were they able to learn and how are we able to learn at the kever of a person? Why isn't this Loig Rush like wearing tzitzis? You know, we say in... Uh, they're not able to do mitzvahs, so here we're doing a mitzvah, especially a mitzvah like Talmud Torah, Talmud Kenegi Kulam, in front of a person who dedicated their lives to Torah. This is almost mocking them. This is a loig rush. So the, and he gives a few answers, but probably, I don't want to say the strongest answer, it's not up to me to decide. But he says you have to understand, this is being done, l'kavod hames. You see, a person who's wearing tefillin or a person who's wearing tzitzes, that's because they're doing their mitzvah, right? That's their mitzvah. They don't have to be doing their mitzvah at that time, especially in the face of an avel, of the face of the deceased. But to learn Torah, which we do on a yard site, l'kavo the mace, so that's not loig l'rush. If anything, we're saying, especially with the Talmud Chacham, that it's their Torah that inspires us. And that's true, you think about every Levaya. At every Levaya, we're doing things, we're doing mitzvahs of actions, you know, not, ju- not just sitzes and tefillin, which are more passive, but we're actually doing actions, you know, the whole kvura, the whole kaddish that we're going to say. So we don't say you can't uh, say tehillim there, whatever we do, lekavad ames, would be allowed. Now, what ends up coming up in a very fascinating discussion in the Achronim, there's actually one of the places I saw where the Shona Halachos, Rebchayim Kanievsky, and the Mishnah Bura argue. Rebchayim Kanievsky wrote a sefer, the Shona Halachos, uh, 
the basic goal of the Sefer is to try to deal with places where the Chazonish, his uncle, Ruchayim Kanievsky's uncle, and the Mishnah Berurah disagree. Not so many places, but one of the things they disagree about is could a person wear tefillin or tzitzes out in front of a woman kever or a child's kever who's not chayiv? And the Mishnah Berurah says, yeah, that's not loigla rush, so why do you have to change your schedule? The woman's not chayiv in tzitzes or in tefillin. Yerchaim Yechanievsky says, no, it's a din in the, it's, it's not a din necessarily, it's the way I explain it, it's a din in the cemetery. It's a din of being near a kever, and we're not going to make a distinction of whether it's a man there or whether it's a woman there. And I think really what he means by it is that you're showing that you're actively involved in mitzvahs. It's not that particular mitzvah that you're involved in, but that you're able to be in mitzvahs. Even though you should know that technically a woman we don't do it. It's it's considered gaiva, but a woman could wear tefillin and a woman could wear tzitzes. We don't do that, and uh, even though a woman in general is able to do a mitzvah seishas man grama, but uh, tefillin and tzitzes is not uh, something, <coughs> and it's actually looked down upon for different reasons. So this is uh, just showing you how this amazing agarita finds its way into halacha. Now in the next Mishnah, which I want to just speak briefly about, we come, continue the discussion of edus, of testimony. We're trying to figure out, you know, in identifying, let's say, someone that has died. Do you have to see them directly? And the Gemara says, the Mishnah says, if you see them because of the light, or you see them in natural light, if you see them because of the light of the moon, the natural light would be obvious, but if you only see them for the light of the moon, you see them because of a reflection, right, from a candle. So that is enough to for the person to give testimony, right? We don't assume, you know, that uh, light is changing the complexity, the, the, the way a person looks. The mission also discusses here a call that we listen to, which I'm going to leave as a question because we know that in general we don't paskin like a call. So Rashi and other Rishonim address the issue. What I want to say in the conclusion of Maseches Yavamis is really something that we said going back to the beginning of Maseches Yavamis, and I have a lot more to say on this doc, but we're going to end here. What you really see in many ways is that Maseches Yavamis is a Masechta of Chesed. Why is it a Masechta of Chesed? Because you really have, through this operation of Yibam, the desire the Torah's desire, if you could call it that, to keep families intact, to keep the name of uh, the deceased intact, even if it's not literally the name, to have the almana taken care of. But we also have an appreciation that it's only if this is what they want. And that's why Chazal put Chalitza into an impact. So we're not having any forced type of marriage situation. And through this whole sugya, through this whole masechta, we've covered so many other sugyos where you see chesed, you know, the gerus and avasager, what we've been dealing with for the last couple of months, I think there's a huge chesed aspect where we're trying to allow this woman not to be an aguna. Now, there's a high-risk situation if the husband comes back, but we're willing to take that probably based on uh, probability, and, you know, the way Chazal were able to derive 
these laws. It's been an amazing pleasure learning Masechus Yavamas with you. I want to give a special call out to the uh, founders of Daf HaShavua. They really uh, do a great job. I, I encourage you to check their website, get their app, and uh, keep in touch with me. I always appreciate all the questions that come. Baruch Hashem. We started uh, a bunch of years back. Some of you have been there from the beginning. Masechus Rosh Hashanah, Megillah, Tanis, Moe Katan, Chagiga, and Yuvamis. And let's stay strong as we move on to Masechus Ksuvas. Have a great week of learning.